somebody, what, sorry, I always forget, Jeremiah, what is it? Karen. I still want to say like Caitlin or Kathy. So, Karen, you left your phone. I don't know what service is in. There's a, must not be this one. Or it's like, oh my goodness. There's a, there's a picture in here when you open it, and it looks a lot like Jeremiah. The batteries did. We can't take selfies. Here's my pit. Hello. Where'd I leave my phone? Oh, must have been Element. You know. Uh, but it's got a picture of somebody who looks a lot like Jeremiah's dad, uh, but not. So if this, if you are Karen, you're totally embarrassed. I'm really sorry. But hey, here's your phone. It's a Samsung. It says Verizon on top. It's black. So if you go to the back and you just want to steal a phone, you can say, I can describe it. Which is okay, because it's been here for a while, so there you go. Um, our kids are going to kids' camp a, a week from today, I think, right? Okay, and they need uh, 16 more spaces in cars. So if you have, like, a Suburban that's just sitting around your house, you don't really use, or you want to let the children's ministry use it, be awesome. Uh, or, like, a saturn outlook or a gmc acadia with eight seats you know something that has eight seats in it they need two vehicles with eight seats so uh, they'll trade you one of their cars for the week which i you all need to be it'll be james no uh it'll be a humbling experience for you because i'm sure your cars are much nicer than theirs but it's fully insured so if you want to just sign, uh, go to the Welcome Center, let them know who you are, find Christy and let her know that you have a car that they could use for that. They'd really appreciate it. Uh, the second thing I'm going to talk about this morning is a lot of people have been asking us if Element is doing anything for the 4th of July. And so my question is, are you doing something for the 4th of July? That's what we're doing. Invite your neighbors over. If you have nothing to do and you want to connect and get uh, to know some people, I've said this every service today, is that on the 4th of July at the Stanleys, Britt Stanley does the what I call the Britt Stanley Fireworks Extravaganza. It's amazing. What happens is he lines up all of his fireworks, and as he pulls them out, he walks them into the street, and he, and he has color commentary the entire time. It's like, this is a purple ring. It emits showers of purple sparks and blah, 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 blah. And he sits down, and he lights it up, and it goes off. And as he goes to pick it up, so that was a purple ring. It emitted showers of sparks. And he, and he kind of does this whole little commentary. In the entire, and it's hilarious. It's hilarious. That was not said in the room. <laughs> we were talking about how to use an economy of words this morning, and that was not them. So, anyway, so... Uh, if you want to go, you can heckle, you can, you know, do all that stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun, but you have nothing to do. Uh, you can talk to Britt uh, or, you know, go to the Welcome Center and give him your name and we'll get his information to you. He'll get a hold of you, let you know where it's at if you want something to do. If not, I would also encourage you, if you're in the city of Santa Maria, uh, invite your neighbors over. Uh, hang out with them, get to know them. It's part of being missional, living the gospel, getting to know the people that actually live around you. So we'd encourage you to do that. Uh, if you live in Orchid and you can't light off fireworks, don't. Because I live there, I don't want you to burn my house down. You know, so uh, maybe invite your friends over there if you have friends in Santa Maria. Invite them all and hang out somewhere and just you know be missional, live a, live a life that that loves Jesus and other people and and show what the gospel's really like. So that's what you should do on the Fourth of July: extravaganza or whatever you're going to do. Invite your friends over. Uh, so welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. It's why they're there. There are also sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. 
And so you open that up, and there's some extra notes in there other than what I talked about this morning. There's some questions on the back where you can talk with your family or with your gospel community or with your friends. Go a little bit deeper into it and kind of walk through that. If you have a smartphone, you don't have to shut it off. You can download an app. The app is called YouVersion. Click on Live, and YouVersion will be on the side. And in Live, you'll get the sermon notes and the verses and the questions and all that goes along with this morning's message. So why don't you stand with me, reading to God's Word, and we will get started here. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak, with, uh, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would be those who live in such a way that we honor you with our words and honor your image in others with our words. That we would be an authentic representation of what you have done in us by how we interact with those around us. That you'd be lifted up and you'd be honored and you'd be glorified by all that we say and do. Amen. Have a seat. So this is Sermon on the Mount. We are in week 19, so you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. So we're going to be, uh, if you've been with us uh, through the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew 18 weeks through this, you're probably looking at the scripture I had you turn to and you're going to say, wait a minute, you just skipped a section and I was wondering really what you were going to say. Well, yes, I did skip a section, but we're coming back to it next week because we need to cover this in context. I have to help you to understand context. Uh, the, scripture, the scripture that we skipped and are coming back to next week is the section about divorce. I'm not running from it. i got to help you understand the t- context in which it comes, and that is when Jesus is talking about O's. This whole thing comes together. What does it mean to follow through with our words and the things that we say? Because we are a Western, linear-thinking culture, we don't see things the way that Hebrews did, like when I talk about this phone. This phone has a front and a back and a top and a bottom, and so this is how we describe this phone. If you're in a Hebrew culture, you would just say it's a phone. It's not, it's not all the ways that we try to use to describe it. When you open your Bibles, you have chapters and verses. And those are really, really good things. But it's not like Matthew wrote his, wrote his gospel and was like, okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, da-da-da-da, 34. It's not how they wrote it. There was no chapters and verses. Uh, there's some researchers in France in the 1500s, and they put the, the chapter and verse distinctions in there for us. And it's a good thing because that's so we can find out when I say Matthew 5, 33, you know exactly where to go. It's good for us. But what it also does to us is it makes us compartmentalize Jesus' words. And so we don't see them in the context of everything else that's around it. And this morning as we walk through this, you may think I'm all over the place, but I'm not. I'm going to bring this all together at the end because I'm a professional. Trust me, uh, we are going to talk about words this morning. The title of the message is The Piling On of Words. Uh, I think Jesus here gives us some guidelines about how to use words correctly. Uh, how not to use language and words. If you like to read, you know that words and books can open up whole new worlds. Uh, This is why a lot of little kids like their parents to read to them because their imagination goes wild. They get to see all the things that you're reading to them. If you grew up, you know, and you went to high school or junior high or elementary school, you probably saw someone got picked on, you picked on somebody or somebody picked on you, and you realize words can also destroy worlds. Words can hurt a lot of people. Language is fluid. Sometimes words can be used for entertainment. Sometimes they can build people up or tear people down. In 1966, Bob Dylan gave an interview to Rolling Stone magazine, and they said, what made you decide to go into rock and roll? 
And this is Bob Dylan's response. Just listen to these words, okay? They're all over the place. He says, carelessness. I lost my one true love. I started drinking. The first thing I know, I'm in a card game. Then I'm in a crap game. I wake up in a pool hall. And this big Mexican lady drags me off the table, takes me to Philadelphia. She leaves me alone in her house, and it burns down. I wind up in Phoenix. I get a job as a Chinaman. I start working in a dime store and move in with a 13-year-old girl. Then this big Mexican lady from Philadelphia comes in and burns the house down. I go to Dallas. I get a job as a before in a Charles Atlas before and after ad. That'd be me by the way. I move in with a delivery boy who can cook fantastic chili and hot dogs. Then this 13-year-old girl from Phoenix comes and burns the house down. The delivery boy, he ain't so mild. He gives her the knife. And the next thing I know, I'm in Omaha. It's, I'm so, it's so cold there. By this time, I'm robbing my own bicycles and frying my own fish. I stumble onto some luck and get a job as a carburetor out at the hot rod races every Thursday night. I move in with the high school teacher who also has a little plumbing, does a little plumbing on the side, who ain't much to look at, who's built a special kind of refrigerator that can turn newspaper into lettuce. Interesting. Everything's going good until that delivery boy shows up and tries to knife me. Needless to say, he burned the house down, and I hit the road. The first guy that picked me up asked me if I wanted to be a, be a star. What could I say? You're going like, what in the world is he even saying? So they say, is that how you became a rock star? Bob Dylan says, no, that's how I got tuberculosis. <laughs> right? It makes no... Sometimes people just throw a whole lot of words, and it makes no sense whatsoever. You're like, what does that even mean? Sometimes language and words is about trying to put words on something you've experienced. And this goes beyond words. And we call this poetry. Annie Dillard, in Teaching a Stone to Talk, she writes these words. The mountains are great stone bells. They clang together like nuns. Who shushed the stars? There are a thousand million galaxies easily seen in the Palomar reflector. Collisions between and among them do, of course, occur. But these collisions are very long and silent slides. Billions of stars sift among each other untouched, too distant even to be moved. Moved, heedless as always, hushed. The sea pronounces something over and over in a hoarse whisper. I cannot quite make it out, but God knows I have tried. At a certain point, you say to the woods, to the sea, to the mountains, the world, now I am ready. Now I will stop and be wholly attentive. That is why I take walks to keep an eye on things. Now, how many of you have ever taken a walk? And you look outside at the hills around you when we actually have rain and they're very green. Or the ocean in front of you or the sky above you that's so blue, it's like blue, blue. Or the night stars that are so far away and yet so bright. And we see the world around us and we stand amazed at the goodness and the creativity of God. That's why Annie Dillard says, The mountains are great stone bells. They clang together like nuns. They speak so loudly of God's majesty and yet they are silent like nuns at the very same time. See, these are words. These are words. Putting your feelings in language. I think Annie Dillard's words are so much better than Bob Dylan's words. Now, sometimes words will put your life into perspective so others can walk with you through it. Uh, This is one of the reasons why we invite you to get involved in gospel communities, so you can share your words and people can understand where you are and walk with you through them. If you go to a counselor, you've got to say words so they understand you. Sometimes you get into arguments with your your kids or your spouse or a friend or a co-worker, and those are words that come out. Words also give you the ability to express love and say the things that need to be said. This is what words do. Sometimes words are like a random collage of these images colliding together. Sometimes they're about a moment of time, and other people hear those words, and it brings connections. Sometimes people say things, and it resonates within us. But sometimes other people will use words in an effort to sound very intelligent. They will pile on a whole lot of words, and it totally loses its meaning. Houston Smith, in his book, The Soul of Christianity, writes this. The infinite has doorways, but not doors. The infinite includes the finite, or we'd be left with infinite plus finite, and the infinite would not be what it claims to be. The natural image to depict the infinite's inclusiveness is a circle, an all-inclusive circle that encompasses our finite universe and out of which it is impossible to fall. 
What in the world does that mean? What, what the, th- those words mean nothing. You're, now, Euston Smith, he's a liberal theologian. If you asked him, he'd probably say he was a pagan. And what he tries to do is throw a whole lot of words at you that sound intelligent, but what he really does is distract you from the central premise, which is Jesus Christ. When he talks about Jesus, he uses all kinds of funky words to talk about Jesus, and they're kind of words like that. They just kind of make no sense. You, you compare that to something like the scriptures. Romans 8, 38 and 39. It's like a big marching band walking through your living room. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like, bong, 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 bong. That's what those words are just loud. They're amazing. It's like God's love is bigger than this, and God is bigger than this, and God is bigger than this. And it's straightforward, and it makes sense. Sometimes words are like that, where we just go, yes, that is true. And sometimes words, comedians will use them, and they're just very simple truths. Like Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright says, everywhere is within walking distance if you have enough time. He says, I bought some powdered water. I don't know what to add to it. Just simple little truths. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying there are proper ways for us to use our words. And there are improper ways to use our words. And so this all comes into the idea of O's. And we'll bring this all together at the end, but I need you to have that in mind. All of these words that get spoken. Matthew 5.33, this is where Jesus starts today. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I know we think we can by dyeing it, but it still grows out the same color. Let what you say be simply yes and no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, if you were to study what people said about what Jesus said there in those words about oaths, you find two main schools of thought. The first one is that Jesus is forbidding any type of oath whatsoever. So you say, you know, our pledge allegiance to the flag. You're not supposed to do that. that, that that's horrible. Uh, one commentator says this is the most silent and dangerous command because it puts you at odds with every government and institution because you refuse to take any oath. This has led to a long Christian tradition and some movements where they won't take any oaths whatsoever to anything. Uh, they will actually point to Jesus in Matthew 26, 63, and 64, where the high priest says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't answer the question. All he says is, well, you said so. And they go, see, Jesus wouldn't commit himself to anything, so we shouldn't either. Large tradition of teaching along those lines. Now, the other way, the right way, I would say, to look at it actually deals with the verses in the Sermon on the Mount in context of the whole, which is what Jesus is speaking, and he is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount in context as a whole. The Sermon on the Mount starts with Beatitudes, blessings. This is who God has called you to be. This is who God deems you to be. So live in that so you become salt and light in the world. You live a certain way. And out of that, you learn how to truly worship. Your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, and you worship a certain way. And that translates into all the relationships you have with everybody. Anger and murder and lust and adultery, all, everything dealing with all these relationships. And Jesus summarizes it with, with, you have heard that it was said to those of old. And if you've been at Element for any length of time, hopefully your first thought when you read something like that is, well, what was said to the people of old? You know, is he quoting someone? What did people say? Well, they said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. 
So what Jesus does is he takes a number of verses and passages from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and he summarizes them. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is, you don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Today we have narrowed this down so small, and we think that means the word God with the dam followed after it. And that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about claiming to be something you're not, claiming the name of God and not living for him. Today we'd say claiming to be a Christian and not actually actually following Christ. That's what it's saying. Leviticus 19, 12. You shall not swear uh, by my name falsely. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man bows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. Deuteronomy 5, 11. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Jesus takes all these teachings about misusing God's name, going back on oaths, and he pushes them together with, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. He says, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven or by the earth or by Jerusalem. And what was happening in Jesus' day is people would make huge oaths. They would use their words to bind themselves to God or to each other, and then they would go back on those words to be unable to fulfill their oaths, and they would say, well, technically I didn't make a vow I had to follow through on. I'm not bound by it. I can get out of it. Uh, One commentator calls this the weasel factor. I think it's great. I think it's great. There's an ancient tradition of making about a God. It was being abused in Jesus' day. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. I'll show you a couple examples of this. Um, There's actually lots of examples in this day. Extra biblical writings even talk about all the things that they were doing. People trying to find loopholes to get out of the things that they said they were going to do. Matthew 23, starting in verse 16. Jesus says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold of the temple that has made the gold sacred. Second example, verse 18. And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and him who dwells in it. It, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits upon it. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, this is confusing. What in the world is going on here? What are all of these things? So it'd be like this. If you own a business and you went to somebody and you said, you know, I will be there next Wednesday to get this job done. I swear on the temple. Or maybe you're in school. You don't have any of your homework done. Your teacher says, I'm going to fail. And you said, I swear on the temple next Wednesday. I will drop off all my homework. But you didn't show up to do the job next Wednesday. You didn't turn in your homework the next Wednesday. And they said, hey, what are you doing? You would say, well, you know, I, I only swore, you know, by the temple. I didn't swear by the gold on the temple. I swore by the gold on the temple. I really would have been there on Wednesday. I really would have had my homework done on Wednesday. That's what I really would have done. Someone says, you know, well, did you see it? Oh, yeah, I totally saw what happened, and I swear by the altar it happened this way. And then they found out you were lying. You would say, well, I only swear by the altar, not the gift on the altar. If I swore by the gift on the altar, woo, oh, boy, I would be really be in trouble now. We have all kinds of extra-biblical examples of people swearing by heaven and by earth. Oh, I swear by heaven and earth, I'll give it to you. But you didn't give it to them. You would say, well, I only swore by heaven and earth, and it wasn't binding. In the Mishnah, which is a rabbinic commentary on the Old Testament, I actually put the tract in your notes if you guys ever want to look it up. You probably don't, but whatever, I put it there. Uh, there's this legal document that said if you swore by Jerusalem, it was not binding. If you swore to Jerusalem, it was. There's extensive tracts in the Mishnah about this, arguing back and forth. Is it by or for or up or upon or to? Yes, no, yes, no, yes. You, know, you may be thinking, what kind of backwater primitive thinking is this that people are doing just this bizarre stuff? Well, we do the exact same thing today. Let me show you. Um, I swear to you I'm telling the truth. You don't believe me? I swear to God I am telling the truth. 
Oh, you don't believe me? I swear to God with my hand on a Bible that I am telling the truth. You don't believe, oh, I swear to God with my hand on a stack of Bibles, I am telling the truth. Oh, you don't believe me? Oh, I swear to God with both my hands on a stack of Bibles, with my right foot on my grandmother's grave, my left foot on my great-grandmother's grave, that I am telling you the truth. Oh, you don't believe me? Well, I swear to God, I'm two stacks of Bibles, my grandmother's grave, my great-grandmother's grave, wrapped in an American flag, that I am telling you the truth. Oh, you don't believe me? I swear to God, on two stacks of Bibles with a bookshelf of Bibles behind me, standing on my great-grandmother's grave and my grandmother's grave, wrapped in an American flag, under the Statue of Liberty with a bald eagle flying overhead, that I am telling you the truth. A double dog dare you to challenge me. <laughs> oh, we just found out you were lying. Well, I had my fingers crossed under the one stacks of Bibles. <laughs> That's exactly what we do. That's what Jesus is talking about. Oh, I swear by heaven and by earth, by the temple and the altar, I'm telling the truth. Oh, but heaven and earth, well, they're really not binding in the gift on the altar. I didn't swear by that, the golden temple, so I don't have to do it. Jesus wades into this, and he says, this is absurd. You let your yes be yes, and your no be no. It's very refreshing as it cuts through all the garbage and there again is a theme to this it goes to the entire sermon on the mount to blessing that we are called to be a blessing in the world god has first blessed us we bless those around us we live as salt and light the fulfillment of the law and worship and what that looks like to anger to murder to lust and adultery and then it goes into divorce which we'll look at next week which is which is the rupturing of an oath the rupturing of words it goes into revenge and love for enemies and good deeds and how people want to announce their own deeds with their words to puff themselves up and it goes into prayer you know, our words that we use to talk to God and how we commit ourselves to Him. You see, again and again and again, what Jesus does is He covers all aspects of life and how to commit all of ourselves to Him. See, it goes so much deeper than just O's and yes and no. Jesus' teaching us about commitment, how to live in God's world in a way that we trust Him so much that we're not anxious about everything. That we're not always worried about anything. We honor Christ in all things. And I think we all need this today more than ever. See, in getting to O's, he has talked about forgiveness and restoration and lust and anger, your past, your present. He's showing us how to use language and words in a way that is non-anxious, that trusts God and honors him in all things. What Jesus is saying is there are proper ways to use words in relationships. There are proper ways to do this. Stop piling on words. If you have to swear at all, you might want to rethink things. You might want to rethink things. If I've got to say to you, no, seriously, I swear it's true, you might want to pause and ask, why do I need to add words? Why do I have to put all of these things on top of that? Why can't I just say it's true? Last year I was given a message, and I gave this little story about something, and I said, I, I, said, I swear to God this is true. And somebody came up to me after the service, and they were very nice about it, and they asked me about it. I say that, you know, they confronted me with nice words. Uh, and they said, why do you need to pull God into it? And I thought, you're totally right. Why do I need to pull God into it in that way? Sometimes the reasons we add words is we're aware of our own lack of credibility, our own shortcomings, and we bring in other things to try and bolster our believability. In the first century, there's a guy named Josephus, he's an historian, and he says this about the Essenes. He says, the Essenes say, the one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. The one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. If you've got to drag God into it, there's already something that's lacking there. Well, you know, I swear on the altar, the gift that, of the gold in the temple, if I have to grab a stack of Bibles, if I need a bald eagle to fly overhead, there's a character issue. And words are not going to fix it. What Jesus says is that words are not fulfilling gaps in character. 
Words are not fulfilling gaps in character. Again, the idea is we should be living in God's world as salt and light, non-anxious, peaceful, full of hope, trusting Jesus, so we can simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. We don't need all those extra words to bolster our credibility. There are healthy ways to use words for edification. There are also ways to use words that come from our anxiety and our lack of character and does not understand who we actually are in Christ. And if I can't convince you by the believability of how I live and love Jesus, many times my words are not going to help whatsoever. Words are not for filling gaps in character. The second thing in this is that words are not for managing or manipulating other people into agreeing with you. Words are not for managing or manipulating other people. Now, we do this in a lot of ways. Oh, I swear by this, I swear by that. And you manipulate them into believing you, even maybe you're not even being honest. Now, there are mundane ways that we do this, where we manipulate people. Uh, I, I love when kids grow up to the point and they realize that Toy Story is not the first movie that was ever made. You know, there's a, there's a whole deeper catalog that comes along with stuff like, like Hugh Jackman. He is not the first person to play Jean Valjean. You know, and, and Russell Crowe is not the first person to play Robin Hood. You know, Kevin Costner had that movie. But, you know, Errol Flynn, now, Errol Flynn, that's the man, that dude right there, right there. Uh, Hayden Christensen is not the first person to ever play Darth Vader. It's true. It's like much better actors before he ever showed up and took over Darth Vader. You know, the force was not with him. Anyway, and, and, I, and I love talking about stuff like this, and I tend to hype things a lot. So when I was growing up, uh, you know, in, in the 80s, I was like in junior high, and there's this show that was on Started in 1981, a guy named William Catt. It was called The Greatest American Hero. So, believe it or not, I'm walking. Whatever. Sometimes people get the theme song and not the, not the thing. But anyway, so I was talking to one of my friends about it, and I'm just hyping this up, how great and awesome it was, and all of a sudden, Netflix got the rights to it. So he goes, oh, I'll watch that. He could not get through the second episode. It was so bad. The special effects were so bad. The acting was so bad. And I'm totally hurt. How, how could he not love my childhood the way that I love my childhood? What's wrong? And so I'm using all these words to try and convince him how much better it was than... Quite honestly, it actually was, right? But all these things to manipulate because I want them to. We do this all the time. We want people to agree with us and like the things we like and dislike the things that we dislike. I mean, I, have a, I try to have a goal now, but it's still part of manipulating. You know, I, I try not to hype. I report, you know, like Edge of Tomorrow was better than Spider-Man 2. I know, which is like sacrilege, but it's true. Christopher Nolan's Batman was better than all the ones that came before it. Uh, 1988, when I graduated high school, the biggest movie was Die Hard, and it was the height of awesome. You may not be as refined as me, but it's true. <laughs> See what I did there? I just use my words to manipulate you because Die Hard was awesome. You know, that's, and we all begin to do that. But we do it in so many other ways. You ever have a friend who wanted to introduce you to another friend, but they didn't know how it was going to go, so they hype up that other friend that they want to introduce you to? It's like, well, this person must walk on water. It's like Jesus and then this guy. And you show up, you meet him, and you're like, they're a knucklehead. You know, and, and you're totally let down. You ever have a friend mad at somebody else and they tell you how horrible this person is and all the horrible things they've done and so you've got all this animosity towards somebody you've never even met and then you actually meet them and you're like, oh, I hate you and then you finally get to know them and you're like, well, you're not so bad but it takes so long to get past that. You know, people do this with me a lot. They, they think, oh, Aaron's funny or they, and so when they want to introduce me, like, oh, here's the pastor at our church, this is Aaron and they talk about it and they totally build me up and then people meet me and they're always let down. It's, it's true. It's true. If you, if you want to just introduce them to me, it'll just 
crash and burn the plane right there. That's, it, it, it's just how it is. But we want to control things. This is a huge issue in the Sermon on the Mount, this issue of control. And again and again, Jesus keeps coming back to that idea. Control. Who's in control? Not you. Let it go. Stop trying to manipulate. When he talks about judging, judging is trying to control other people through negativity. I will condemn and use my words to shame you, to get you to do what I want. When he talks about pearls before swine, it's the idea of trying to control control not through negativity, but positivity. Either the showering of gifts or positive words to get people to agree with you. It all comes from a failure to live in God's world in a way where we trust God's peace and sovereignty. It is all about control. And what Jesus is doing, he's getting to the heart of our language and the words that we use and a desire to manipulate and control others through our words. We can hype something up. We can tear people down. It happens all the time. All the time. I mean, you've got to ask yourself this question. Is there anybody in your life right now that you are trying to control and manage through your words? And you may say, oh, not me. Liar. Because seriously, we all do it. We don't even realize we do it. We grow up in a culture, we have advertising thrown at us from the cradle to the grave. It is naturally ingrained into everything we say and everything we do. We become people who just espouse advertising, not even realizing that we do it. We advertise the things that we love. Let let me give you some uh, advertisement out there. Helps control dandruff symptoms with regular use. Head and shoulders. But any shampoo would do that if you used it regularly. Use shampoo, dummy. Come on. Leaves dishes virtually spotless. Well, I didn't wash them. They're still virtually spotless. Magnavox gives you more. Well, I want more. More what? I don't know, but I'll buy a Magnavox so I can get some. More. Ford had an ad a few years ago. It said Ford LTD 700% quieter. When the FTC asked Ford to substantiate the claim, Ford revealed that the inside of the car was 700% quieter than the outside of the car. <laughs> there's no mascara like it. Of course there's not. It's got a name on it, and every other brand has their own name on it. So it is different. Mobile, the detergent gasoline. Every gasoline acts as detergent. Every single one. Are you beer drinkers? Rheingold, the natural beer, because it's made from grains and hops and water. Like every other beer. Strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. Do you even want to go into a store and say that? I need the stuff that's strong enough for a man. Why is that a selling point? I stink really bad. And yet we just buy it. Like, oh, that sounds good to me. How about this? Lips have never looked so luscious. How do you prove that? How do you even begin to prove that? If what you do is right for you, no matter what others do, then RC Cola is right for you. Maybe that's why they're like, like Shasta even beats them. You know, it's like, it's horrible. Shouldn't your family be drinking Hawaiian Punch? Well, yes, they should be drinking Hawaiian Punch. I don't know why I don't have more Hawaiian Punch. Uh, I tried to find the picture of this, but there was a gum ad about 10 years ago. And, and it had this person pulled over in a car with a cop standing next to it. And it said, 35% more warnings. You ever think, I got to buy gum so I can get out of a ticket? You ever think that? Well, apparently they thought you would believe it and and buy their gums. But we're not shocked. We all think advertising is stupid, and yet we all advertise. All of us do it all the time. Everybody has an angle. Everybody lies. But what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, what if everybody didn't lie? What if there was a people who followed Jesus, and their yes was yes, and their no was no, and that's simply how it was? 
What if there's a people who didn't feel like they had to front all the time? He says, he says, my people should not be those who use language in a manipulative or frivolous way. That's what he's saying. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Stop trying to manipulate people in front so people think that you are better than you are or different than you are. You can simply rest and trust in Jesus because he knows who you really are. He knows who you are. He says, let your language be an authentic representation of who you are in Christ. That's what he is saying. We rest, we trust. Yes, you can laugh. Yes, you can use words to crack jokes. You can do all of those things. But in our language, you've got to stop being so worried about how other people view us and simply realize that our God is deemed to save us. He does love us. He has sought us and bought us with his blood, and we can simply be who he made us to be. We don't have to fill all the gap with noise. We can let the sounds that we make actually be sounds of grace. Because the point of language is to communicate honestly because our God has communicated honestly and clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we stop piling words. And we make commitments. It's not nothing. They're not things that we get out of. They're deep because our words are deep which leads to what we'll talk about next week in divorce and the rupturing of O's. But even that, you have to understand that our sin is horrible and our God is good. And he has come and paid for our sins and redeemed us. And when we understand that and what that life is supposed to look like, we don't have to put up a front. We don't have to manipulate people. We don't have to make people think that we are better than we are. We can simply be who God made us to be. This is one of the reasons when we talk about Jesus and salvation, it is always about freedom. You can be free to actually live the life Jesus calls you to without worrying about all of these other things. Because God knows who you are. And as much as you try and get him to think that you're better than you are, you're not. I mean, he sees you at your worst. The worst thing you never want anybody to know. He sees you at your best, and our best is filthy rags. And yet he saves us anyway. I mean, this is the understanding of what God has done in us. And we don't have to front. We don't have to put it. We simply trust Jesus and live our lives in an authentic way where we get to say the words that are representative of who Christ is in our life and what he has done and how he has saved us. This is where we come to communion every single week is the place where you break that cracker because it reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we can actually be a redeemed and a saved people who don't have to put up a front. We realize who we are, and we realize much more importantly who we are in Him. And we live lives of authenticity that are centered first around His person, and that honesty and truth then goes out into every relationship that we have around us. We don't need to hide. We can be who He made us to be. The band's going to come up. As I do, we invite you guys to sing uh, the songs that uh, we're going to be singing, uh, to take communion, and uh, there'll be some deacons in the back. Uh, And if you guys need prayer for anything, uh, they'd love to pray with you. I mean, maybe you're someone who feels like, if people really knew me, well then, oh my goodness, you know, I, I would never have any real relationships. And so you're always trying to front and put things up in front of you so no one sees who you really are. Jesus says, you can trust me. Trust me. And then live in authenticity because I have redeemed you. I have saved you. They'd love to talk with you about that. They'd love to pray with you about that. Being true in our relationship, you know, first with God and then 
with others. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. So you have the opportunity. We don't pass a plate. It's simply a response. And so it's not something that we just talk about. It's something we actually do. Uh, there's some food and stuff in the back. And like we see every week, it's there. So hopefully you grab something to eat. You meet some other people. Use your words. Meet some other people, talk to them, invite somebody out to lunch, uh, sign up to go to a gospel community, grab your family, your friends, and grab the uh, questions on the back of the notes and go a little bit deeper. Talk about what this really looks like. Talk what it, what it means to actually live your life and your language to be an authentic representation of what Christ has done in and through us and what he continues to do in and through us and what he wants to do in the entire world. I mean, Jesus says his people are to be those who are the most authentic in the world. I don't think that's how the world views the church today. I don't think that's how the world views a lot of Christians today. Because quite honestly, we're not authentic. We're always trying to front and put things up. And Jesus says, stop. Be my people. Live in my grace. Trust me. Rest in who I have called you to be. You are my child. Now go out and live like it. Trust me like I'm your dad. I am there for everything. Don't worry about fronting in front of others. Trust me as your dad, as your God, as your Savior. And then we go and we live that way. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who honor you by living how you call us to live, by trusting you, by understanding the great grace that you have bestowed upon us. Father, so often we want to put up a front so other people would see what we want them to see and not the realness of who we are. We don't ever want anybody to know that we stumble, that we struggle, that we fall, that we hurt. And yet you know all of those things. And there's almost no way that we can walk with others through things until we are authentic ourselves. And help us to live more like you. All throughout the scriptures, you have never hidden who you are. You have spoken plainly and clearly. And I ask that you would teach us as your kids to live the exact same way. Trusting you as our Father who has saved us. Trusting your Son for redemption and our salvation. Trusting your Spirit to lead and guide us into all things so that we live the kingdom of God by our actions and by our words. It seems like at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, you've gone through all these different things, and now you're dealing with our words and what comes out of our mouths. So have the words of our mouth. Be those that speak of you, speak of grace, and are always honest and authentic. Because you are the God who has saved us. And we need to rest and trust in that hope and no other. So we can live a life of truth and honesty and grace. Teach us to live that way. We ask this in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.